98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Cardinals GM Steve Kime. Kime time. On the Burns and Gambo Show. Presented by Santan Ford and the Arizona Cardinals. You're the boss at Santan Ford. Welcome back. It's the Burns and Gambo Show here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station, 3 o'clock hour. In fact, it is 3 o'clock on a Friday, which means it's time to talk with the general manager of the Cardinals, Steve Kime, stopping by for his weekly visit here on Burns and Gambo. Steve, good to talk to you again. Hope you're well. Good afternoon, man. Well, the good news is you held the Rams to 20 points and you completely shut down Cooper Cup. The bad news is you lost to the Rams again. What were your thoughts on Sunday's game? Yeah, no, no question. Disappointing. Um, not so much the fact that I think we're still playing a quality opponent, but at the same time, you know, again, for um, a couple of different weeks now, we have not played up to expectations and uh, certainly need to get that fixed. Um, and it's, it's one thing to get beat physically, which can happen from time to time in this league, but, you know, when you make the mistakes that we made and, and some of the things that we need to get cleaned up, it's, it's, it's hard to accept. Do you have any explanations for the first quarter struggles with this football team? No points through three games in the first quarter. You're always playing from behind. Yeah, I wish I did. Last year, I felt like we started pretty fast, but for some reason this year, we haven't been able to get in, uh, uh, into the flow, and it just seems like that uh, it's really stagnant. Um, and then we get, get the ball moving, and it's essentially too late, or has been too late at times. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully we can pick that up this week. I know I've, they've been dialed in at practice this week, and hopefully we can, again, fix those mistakes that we made last week against the Rams. You mentioned that it's one thing to get physically beat. Is there something specifically that you're seeing or that's happening that's not happening physically in these games on Sunday that is of concern to you, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I think it's little things, you know, stuff that guys are being coached to do, which is whether it's, you know, depth in a, in, uh, in a route or uh, communication issues, uh, things that, um, again, that, that we need to study harder, we need to prepare better, and we need to uh, uh, be ready to go this Sunday. I mean, I know the Panthers are coming off of a big win, and who knows what the weather's going to be like, so um, we just got to be prepared to play our game and, and l- minimize those mistakes, as I said. Cambo mentioned it a second ago, 20 points against the Rams on, on any given day. That- that should be enough, could be enough. Are you happy with the overall state of your defense despite the lack of sacks, the lack of interceptions, and things like that? Well, you know, you'd, you'd certainly like to see a little more uh, pass rush production, but uh, for the most part, I think we've done a good job. We've run to the football. I thought David Collins has played pretty well for the most part. I know he did miss that sack that was a critical play in the game, but um, but he has played fast and has, has handled the communication side of it very, very well. Um, and there's been some other guys, you know, Jalen Tom and a number of other guys, J.J. Watt, once he came back, has done some really good things. So just want those guys to continue to progress. And, and again, hopefully some of these young players that we drafted as well will, will pick up at, at some point in time here soon. Steve, we, we heard a lot of great things about Trey McBride when uh, when he was taking, when you took him 55th overall Colorado State. Then you draft a couple of pass rushes, Cameron Thomas, Majai Sanders, 87th and 100th overall. Three players in the top 100, but we're not seeing them you know, get the reps on the field right now. Is that a concern to you? Uh, well, it's an always a concern. You'd love to see guys come in right away, but I think realistically, when you look at middle round picks, um, they will generally take some time. Uh, you know, and it's not so, so much a physical thing, as I said earlier. It's it's the speed of the game and uh, the size of the playbook and, and some of the adjustments that you have to make on the fly. So uh, I know there's a lot going through those guys' heads, but in practice, I know that they've continued to look better, and I know they will get more opportunities as we get down the stretch. So you don't think there's any disconnect between the front office and the guys that are making the picks and then the coaching staff and having those guys get on the field and play? 
Well, I don't know of any guys that we've drafted that our coaches didn't like, so I would have to say that's a no. Steve Keim, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. There's been a lot of discourse over the week about Kyler and his ability to run the football, how he we, people would like to see him run the football more. Uh, would you like to see Kyler run the ball more as it relates to your offense? Uh, I think I said it last week, too. Um, uh, Burns, I just think it's more about opportunity and instincts. And if he feels like he's got a lane or an opportunity to run the football, you know, obviously that is a, uh, a great threat of his. But at the same time, you know, he does have the accuracy to play from the pocket. Um, but, you know, again, I know the stats will say what they are, which is the more he runs, the better we do. Uh, again, if, if there's an opportunity and to be able to be safe, uh, I would love to see him run the ball. But you think he can be a very effective, very capable quarterback if he doesn't necessarily use that to the full extent every single Sunday? Well, I think more than anything, not so much run the ball, but, you know, even just extending plays, yeah. you know, getting out of the pocket and making plays with your feet to be able to get out of harm's way, see lanes, have throwing lanes become bigger, and then having, uh, you know, your receivers work back to you and having those type of opportunities is what I'm suggesting. And, and I know he can do it. He's done it many times. And uh, when you pay, play the opposing teams, they talk about what a tough time it is to get to them. And, um, but, but again, I, I think that there's a number of different things that he can do for you that excites us. I'm sure if I if I had the answer to this, you'd probably hire me and put me on your staff and pay me more than I'm making here. But you guys are almost a calendar year now, not winning a home game. You're great on the road. You're not winning games at home. I mean, I just, I, I don't have an answer for it. I don't know if you do, but what's your thoughts on that? I don't. It disappoints me and it disappoints me, my, me for the fans, you know, because the old saying is you're supposed to win the home games and scratch them out on the road. And, and um, you know, and then obviously at the end of the year, you have a pretty good record. But no, I am disappointed um, that we're not winning at home, and again, more so for our fans uh, than anything, because I think they deserve that, but uh, I think it will continue to get better. Again, as the season comes goes on and we get some of our players back that are on IR or for Hop's situation, Hop back, I think we'll, again, continue to get better, and obviously, the stronger you play at the end, it's it's the sort of the better you do, and uh, I know this, Gambo, you, you wouldn't be getting a navigator if you worked here, but you'd probably make a good coin. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I do love that navigator, although Chelsea doesn't let me drive it very much. <laughs> yeah. uh, since you brought up D-Hop, I, I want to ask you about him as it relates to the offense. And, and I, I mean, it's never just one thing, I know, but given the, the struggles overall of the offense, how much of it in your mind is traced to, to not having him? And, and kind of the second part to that question would be, did you think by now that the offense would have improved without him, given how much kind of reps, how many reps you've had without him to this point? I do. I do think that um, I, I expect a little more out of the offense early on, um, you know, because we do have some playmakers, but then at the same time, when you have Rondale down and you have um, A.J. go down the other day, and, and obviously Hop not being in there, um, it can be tough. And I'm glad Hollywood stepped up and had a fantastic game and made a lot of plays for us, but, um, you know, when you're depending on your fourth, fifth receivers to, to be game changers, it, it can be tough. And again, we can't use that as an excuse, though. And I, and I'm awfully proud of a guy like Greg Dorch, who's made the most of his opportunities and expect him to do some good things this week. It's not necessarily a number, but is there, are, are you sort of in the mode of feeling like you have to survive until you start to get some of those guys back? And if so, is there, you know, a number of wins you want to have until you start to get some of those reinforcements back where you feel like you can be strengthened by their return when they do come back? Well, that's a great question because, you know, the hard part is, is you only want to look at one game at a time. And, but at, at the same time, you know, let's, Let's not 
um, kid each other. It's, you got to be realistic about certain players and the difference they make on your football team. And certainly Hop is one of those guys that, you know, once we get him back, we expect huge things and be one of the more dominant receivers in the NFL. Um, expect that to pick up. So, uh, you know, I just think that if you, if you scratch a couple more out and you, you can go 500 or even a little better, that'd be fantastic. But at the same time, you know, every week uh, you expect to win and you hope to win and you, you, you put all your energy and focus into that game. And that's the Carolina Panthers this week. Look, I'll preface this by saying both me and, and Bernsey are fans of Kyler Murray. And we think it was the right thing to do to extend him, given that contract extension. We've extension. We've seen him done do some remarkable things over three years. I want to see what your thoughts are when you hear the criticism. I mean, yesterday was uh, LaShawn McCoy calling him trash. I mean, you know, this is a quarterback that you believed in. You drafted number one overall. You just signed him to a, a record extension for the organization. What's your thoughts when you hear about criticism like that? <laughs> I actually didn't hear that. It's pretty harsh. And he's he's from my hometown. So <laughs> so the hell with him. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I mean, it's, uh, you know, again, I, I know you guys have a tough job to do. And I certainly respect the media's opinion. And they have to be tough and it's a results-based business. But at the same time, the internal belief that I have in Kylo, that we all have in Kylo, is tremendously high. And I think that, um, you know, there, there are always things with young players that you want to see improve and get better. But uh, at the same time, you know, there aren't, there aren't many guys that I'd rather have in Kyler Murray as our quarterback. Do you feel like some people in the media, especially nationally or people that aren't here, are, are almost rooting against him because he's a short quarterback, rooting against Cliff because of his, you know, path to get to the NFL? Do you feel feel like certain people want those guys to fail for a certain reason? I would say that's some of it. I, I also think a little bit of, um, unfortunately, that's the nature of the business anymore, is people like to see drama. People like to see um, people uh, not succeed. And it's sad that it's like that, because there's a whole lot more things that we could be talking about that are positives in the world that, that could go a long way. But uh, I, I get it. It, 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 it uh, you know promotes ratings and all those sort of things and these guys can be critical, but at the same time, we just have to handle our business, and um, that's all that really matters on this end. I Leave me with this. I just want to see, you know, when we see what happened with Tua last night, the concussion protocol from last week in that game, short week. I mean, when you see stuff like that, do you, do you try to tighten up the ship? Do you try to go over everything to make sure that your players are protected and they, they don't get forced back into a game when they shouldn't be? What's your thoughts on your organization and how they handle those situations? Yeah, I, I did hear in the back on, on the TV, but I, I was actually traveling, doing some scouting this week, so I got back in late and did not see it. But I, I think we do a great job, not only with you know Wayne Cool, our doctor, and Javier Cardenas, who handles the head injuries, Tom Reed, our medical staff. I mean, I think those guys are extremely, extremely good at what they do. And um, you know, I can't speak for other teams, but I know that uh, we we go to every length to make sure that these guys stay safe and uh, and secure. So um, again, I'm I'm awfully proud of our group. Steve, best of luck to the organization this week against Carolina. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thanks, man. Take care. Thanks, Steve. Steve Kime joining us on the Arizona Sports Line here on the Burns and Gambo Show. When we come back, the Cardinals and the Carolina Panthers, is this weekend's game going to turn up the temperature for the losing head coach, or is the temperature already pretty warm as it is? That's coming up next on Burns and Gambo. Football Friday with Burns and Gambo. Let's go! Presented by 72 Soul. Get your price. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station.
Kimbo sent me a direct message uh, about an hour ago or so, and it was, I'm pulling it up right now, I should have had this in front of me. Here it is from NFL Rumors Twitter account, official Twitter account of NFL Rumors. They've got 150,000 people who follow them, whatever. They're passing along a report from CBS Sports. And according to the report, that Panthers head coach Matt Rule has lost the locker room, according Ooh. to CBS Sports. That's all it says. It just says Matt Rule has yeah. lost the locker room in Charlotte. And there is some belief. And I, I will admit, I, I was a little surprised that Matt Rule kind of kept his gig. This offseason, you know, I, I kind of thought he might be a coaching casualty with a new owner and then maybe patience had sort of run out. He's there. 11 and 25 as their head coach, 11 wins and 25 losses. There was a story back in December of last year, Matt Rule safe in Carolina, despite, you know, lack of success and uh, winning the first two years. They haven't won many games. Um, so he's one of those coaches. And I know we were going to use this segment to talk about, hey, listen, uh, the loser is this this game, that, that seat could be really hot. You know, now we know... Oh, we can still talk about that because yeah. I think the loser of this game, the seat could get a little warm. Now, yeah. Cliff, Cliff signed a five-year deal, okay? Cliff signed a five-year deal. He's on a contract for five years. But as we say, it's Michael money. It's Michael money. Michael wants to get rid of Cliff. He can get rid of Cliff. He just has to eat all of that. It's going to suck, but like, if you want to, you can do that. It doesn't affect the cap or anything. It's just it's just Michael money. Now, that rule that this, the failures they've had, if you lose the locker room, right, they've got 11 wins, they've got 25 losses. If he loses the locker room, there, then that's it. I mean, you have no choice. You're going to have to make a move right there. So CBS Sports, and I'm trying to find if, if there's a story or not, but it says per CBS Sports, the Panthers head coach has lost the locker room. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's, let's, that, that, listen, that's good news for the Cardinals because if they, I mean, maybe, maybe they'll do to, you know, to, to Matt Rule what, what ASU was doing to Herm. Just give the other team all the plans. Here, listen, you, here you go. Here's all our plays. Beat us so we can fire them. There you go. I was surprised. Okay, just real quick yeah. on a total unrelated side note. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that ASU story didn't get more traction. Doug Howler was the first to report it. That was a great athletic. story. It was an incredible story. Yeah. I mean, not great, but I mean, incredible in that. Wait, what? There are it, there people within the ASU organization that might have been making intel easy to get because they wanted Herm gone. I mean, that's an incredible story. There wasn't a lot of detail to it, so it was a hard, like, okay, like who? Was it a player? Was it a coach? Was it, there wasn't anybody, like, tied to it? Yeah. There wasn't a team. Hey, this team got this information. So, you know, it was, a, it was like, it was kind of, a, it was a good, good report. It was a little loose on the, on, on facts, um, and backing stuff up. So I think it was harder for somebody to say, let's take it and run with it. But I was fascinated by it, and Doug does an amazing job, and that was, that was, we loved that. It was great information. I took it as a fact. It just, it was short on specific. Specifics. It didn't. It didn't. Yeah, that's you, probably what I was trying to say. Yeah, not facts necessarily, but specifics. It didn't. It wasn't specific in terms of who did what. Back to the the Cardinals and the Panthers, though. In this situation, uh, a report today on USA Today that, in addition to losing the locker room, as we mentioned in that tweet, according to Aaron Wilson of the Pro Football Network, Matt Rule is under heavy scrutiny from ownership. Uh, his Friday morning report notes that although a change is not imminent, patience for Rule is growing increasingly thin. Wilson. 
Nicholson added that if Rule is ultimately dismissed, the owner there, David Tepper, will seek out a veteran replacement, one with considerable head coaching experience. Now, of course, Sean Payton is looming over everything and everybody right now in the NFL. I mean, every he's working for Fox. He's hanging out. He's he's everybody thinks he's going to take the Cowboys job if they do something with Mike McCarthy in the offseason. But even if they don't, there could be fierce competition for Sean Payton if he returns to the coaching ranks. And I'm I'm sure that that rule, you know, if he gets let go, that Carolina would be interested in in something like that if they're looking for a veteran coach. Do you remember the first five years of Bill Cowher after he retired from the Steelers? Every job that came up. Same thing. Every job that came up. He's waiting for the Giants job. He's just waiting for that Giants job. He's going to take the Giants job. Never took the Giants job. He never went back. No. He's like, you know what? This is a pretty good gig. I got to work like two days a week, and you're going to pay me this much money? You know what? This ain't so bad. Stay right here. I got to deal with all these players and their egos and the attitude. I'm, I get to stay home. I, this is great. I'm not going anywhere. But when Bill Cower left the Steelers, yeah. everybody thought that he was going to take a job within a year or two. Five years later, they still thought he was going to take a job. Finally, it was like, okay, now you're you're too old. You're not going to take a job. Yeah. To answer your specific question, okay, is the loser of this game on the hot seat? I I, I think Matt Rule's already there. I, I think Matt Rule he is there. I, yep. Even if they win this game this weekend, they're two and two. I, I still think he has got a playoffs or bust kind of mandate in Carolina. So I, I think doesn't matter if they win or lose this game necessarily. He, he's got to get that team to the postseason. He's got to get that team to at least a winning record. If he doesn't, I think he's gone. I, I think he's had, been given every opportunity in the world to succeed there. He's probably survived longer than people thought. The interesting question is Cliff. And, and you know, if they lose this weekend. Here's what will happen, I think. If the Cardinals lose this weekend to the Carolina Panthers and fall to one and three, I think people will very quickly realize that this season for the Cardinals is getting real sideways real quick and is probably lost. And when that happens... Yes, people will start talking about Cliff. People are already talking about Cliff and whether the Cardinals should have extended him in the first place. It's just the willingness to let a coach go one year into a multi-year extension. Do they have the appetite for that? Do they have the willingness to do that? That's the because the it's Andy, one person. It's not they. Oh, and I understand. It's I, not I guess a they. When I say they. I mean the organization. Does he? Does, does, he, he? does Michael Bidwell mm-hmm. have the appetite to yeah. do such a thing? That's that's the question here because you look at you look at the big what. They will have lost eight of their last ten games dating back to last year. Can't win a home game. They haven't Can't won a home game in almost, a, a, home almost game a, calendar year. a calendar year. Yeah. They, you lose on the road to a team that just doesn't look like they're that good they at all in Carolina. They were in the playoffs last year. I know. I know. He took over a three-win football team. They won five, and then they won eight, and then they won 11. They went to the playoffs. They've like, played a really poor brand of football for a long Do for, you really think there's a scenario in which he could lose his job this year? Oh, yeah. You do? Okay. Yeah, I do. Do you not? I don't think so. Lose I the think, locker room. That, think, that, that's always the, 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 then you got no choice. I, lose the, lose lock, the locker okay, room. If you lose the locker room, you have no choice. It's over. But I also think, and I remember talking about this at some point in the offseason, there is a disaster scenario where beyond losing the locker room, if this ends up being a four-win team, five-win team, yeah, I think it's very possible. I absolutely think it's possible. If this thing gets really sideways, then yeah, I think. Am I 
rooting for it, wanting it, saying it's going to happen. I think I think a lot of it depends on the record. I think it depends on how they get there, what it looks like, what it feels like, the state of the locker room, what your options are if you let them go. Like who's okay? Kyler's your quarterback. That that's not changing anytime soon. So the guy that you're gonna replace him with has to be somebody who I don't want to say is willing to work with Kyler, but who can bring out the very best in Kyler. That's priority number one in whoever you hire, right? Yeah. So you kind of weigh all of that. You plug all of that into the computer and you figure out it spits out an answer. Yes, let him go. No, keep him. But can I see a scenario? Oh, yeah, I can see that scenario. Totally. I, that, the, the scenario I cannot see is Steve Kime going to be allowed to be a part of the decision-making process that chooses the next coach. Because he's been in on choosing a lot of these coaches and I don't know how many of those cards he has left to play. That to me is the real you figure. Here. I, I don't but know. But he also got the extension too. So you know, you're gonna, you're gonna. Is Michael gonna eat twenty million bucks? I don't know. It's twenty five million bucks, whatever it is. I mean, after a guy took the guy took the guy took the team to the playoffs, I, I think that he's safe this year. I, I I get it, but if it's a bad year, I think he's the first coach on the hot seat next year. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, but this is a game where the loser of this game is probably, even with Cliff being on on the first year of his new deal, probably going to be feeling some heat. The loser of this game is under a tremendous amount of scrutiny. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, why was it that DeAndre Eaton didn't get the rookie max extension from the Suns? A report that you're going to want to hear next on the Burns and Gambo show. 7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. It's been a interesting week for the Phoenix Suns and DeAndre Eaton, huh. you say? Yes. That's probably yes. putting it really, really mildly. Start of the week with... I wonder if he's talked to his coach yet. <laughs> I mean, how do you have him practices? Imagine. I mean, you just say, Chris, tell DeAndre that he needs to pass the ball out of that double team right there. Chris, DA, you need to pass the ball out of the double team. <laughs> tell, uh, hey, Chris, tell Monty that the guys that are double teaming me are really small, so I'm going to shoot, shoot the hook shot over them. Coach, DA says that the guys that are on him are small, he's going to shoot the hook shot over them. <laughs> Chris, tell, I'm not telling you. Like, yeah, no, enough. Yeah, enough of the passing notes to each other stop, in gym class stop. stuff. Yeah, please yeah. stop. Yeah. What's going on right now at Suns practice? Yeah, I mean, the media day on Monday that, that you know, opened to less than sterling reviews. Then on Wednesday, the revelation that Monty and, and DA haven't had a conversation during the offseason, didn't talk when it seemed like it'd be wise for both parties to want to have a conversation to kind of clear the air after that game seven. Now comes this story, and it's actually, it was based. Based on something that happened on Wednesday, and I know it was gone on Wednesday, but I don't think you guys talked about this. And if you did, I apologize, but I don't think you did. Um, so DeAndre Ayton gets the four-year deal from yeah. the Suns, not the five-year deal from the Suns. Right. All right. Saved them about $45 million in one year. Saved them about $45 million. Ramona mm-hmm. Shelburne on NBA Today, and she was backed on this one by Mark J. Spears, said she heard from a source that it was Robert Sarver's decision to not give Ayton the match. Does he blame Robert Sarver? Does he blame that front office? Does he blame Monty Williams? And, and my understanding from talking to people close to DeAndre is that the, he thinks this was Robert Sarver's decision as well. And Robert Sarver's not going to be the owner anymore. So there is some healing that can happen there. But I know, as you said, Mark, there were some hurt feelings over that contract and how that played out. If they were going to instantly match an offer sheet that he signed, why not just give him the max contract? 
Now, this story is interesting to me yeah. on so many levels. Okay. What, on so many levels. What I know, having been involved in a lot of the discussions and having a lot of information on that, is, look, I expect that Robert Sarver is going to get blamed for everything right now. Okay? I totally expect <laughs> okay. that Robert Sarver is going to get blamed for everything that's where You don't like the, the price of beers? It's Sarver's yeah, fault. In, you don't inflation, like, Robert's you fault. You don't like your parking spot? It's Robert's fault. You know, like, Whatever you don't like, it's going to be Robert's fault. I get that. But that one is just not true. That one is not true. James Jones has full control over the roster. If he would have said, I want to give him a max contract, then we got a max contract. James Jones is the GM. There was a lot of reluctance from the front office on giving a center $30 million. It's the, not the way that they wanted to do it. Unless you're in beater, Jokic, there was a feeling that they didn't want to spend that much money on a center, that they wanted to spend less. There was also the thought that if we wait this thing out, you know, we can save money. The best scenario was somebody signs them to an offer sheet, we match it, and we save $45 million. It's just good business. Mm-hmm. What the Suns did was just good business. They saved $45 million bucks on a player that they're not 100% sure on. So that was wise of them to do it that way. But make no mistake about this. And I promise you this because I know this for a fact. If James Jones wanted to sign DeAndre to a max contract after last season ended, after they made it to the NBA Finals, they would have done it. They would have done it. Yeah. But there was a very, there was a reluctance to do it based on not wanting to have the maximum allowance of maximum contracts because it was going to limit your ability to do, you know, to sign another guy down the road. So mm-hmm. they didn't want to do that. And they really weren't. You know, gung ho on giving a center $30 million. They did not want to pay a center. Now they're doing it now because they weren't going to lose him for nothing, but they were very reluctant to give a center that type of money. Yeah. And that's, and, and again, that's what's so interesting about this story to me is because it is very convenient to blame Robert Sarver for this, right? Like if you're, okay, you say it's good business and I don't disagree with you. It is good business to do it the way the Suns did it. But, and we talked about this the moment it happened. You can also understand why it might not go over all that well with DeAndre Eaton. You know, yeah, at the end of the day, he's making $33 million a year, but we also talked in the moment of he's looking at the totality of what he could have earned, and he might be thinking, man, you put one over on me. You 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 saved yourself forty five million dollars with this deal. Do you not value me at the the highest level you can? Do I not feel valued by you at the highest level you can? It, just because it's good business by the Suns to do it this way doesn't necessarily make it the right decision for them to do if the player feels like he's been done dirty. And 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 that's where this server angle gets really interesting because if Aiton feels like he's been done dirty. And that was the reason for the kind of surly media day performance and everything that's happened this week. What a convenient excuse to blame Robert Sarver, right? To say, hey, you know, it was his idea. You know, he, he was the one who wanted to do it this way. Uh, almost, well, I get blamed for everything. Almost as an olive branch. Let's build mm-hmm. a bridge with DeAndre Ayton and let's blame the now departed owner for why this deal happened the way it did yeah. so that we can try to get the very best version of DeAndre Ayton we can. I mean, that was the first thing I thought of was, man, if you feel like DeAndre Ayton thinks he's been done dirty, what better way to try to at least soothe things yeah. over by blaming the guy who's not in charge of the organization Look, wh- Why did the Diamondbacks st- st- uh, sign Mark Melanson? It's Sarver's fault. <laughs> why did the Cardinals not add a pass rusher? It's Sarver's fault. Uh, he's going to get blamed 
same for everything, but make no mistake about it. And you know this because I would always send you a lot of the notes. They were not willing to give him the extension. They were not willing to give him that max extension. And I think that was the front office. That was the front office that didn't want to do it. Look, D.A. wanted to be respected by his peers. And just because he was in the same free aging class as some of the guys that were getting max contracts, it was going to be performance based. Look, small market teams, maybe they have to pay on potential. The Suns didn't feel like they had to do that. I I, I get all that, but I'm kind of okay. I'm looking at the situation now. Yeah. And if the Suns feel like they have a player who doesn't feel appreciated, even though he's making $33 million a year, and, and we can debate whether he should feel that way or not. But if DeAndre Ayton's got any surliness, any saltiness about him at all, I have to wonder if this is a mechanism by which the Suns are trying to blame Robert Sarver. That, that they're, they're hoping that by doing this, they can get a better version of DeAndre Ayton than they would have gotten if James says, nope, I'm the one who gave you that deal. It was my idea. It was all me. That by blaming it on Robert, it's the path to getting a better version of DeAndre Ayton. And, and, and honestly, and, and this is the other part about this, if blaming Robert Sarver gets them a better version of DeAndre Ayton, do we have a problem with that? No, then do it. <laughs> do I like and that's if my that's, point. If you could, if you could use men the fences by saying it wasn't us, man. We always wanted to give you that contract. If you could get people to believe that, you know, then maybe, you know, maybe you can not have any animosity over him not because, getting because that I, five year yeah, match. I agree with, the with you. I, I, I believe you. When you say that this was not a Sarver thing, this was a front office thing. I yeah. always believed that. I really did. And I still do. Um, so I, I don't know if DeAndre Ayton's going to buy that or not. But if Ayton's got some saltiness over how things went down, which is something we've been talking about for months, that he might, he might be salty about this. He might not be happy about this. Man, blaming it all on Robert might be a path for everybody being the best version of themselves. And as a Suns fan, I want DeAndre Ayton to be the best version of himself. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't want to blame things on Robert that aren't his fault, but it, it certainly does feel like there's you a lot of... Will you take one on the chin for the team? Yeah, it, it just it does feel like a convenient way of telling the story in an effort to try to get the very best version of DeAndre Ayton you can. And I don't know if I have a problem with that because I want the best version of the Yeah, I, I'm looking at months and months of notes here that I that I have, and I just haven't. I, I have a whole file right here, a folder just called Aiden slash Sons. Um, that's just here, and I'm, I, you know, I'm telling you, from every single conversation I had, they did not want to give him a five year max contract, and there's a lot of different reasons why, but they did not want to give him a five year max contract, and. Um, they they were willing to do a lesser deal. They didn't want to tie themselves up with one more, you know, max guy um, on a five year max, not a four year max, but a five year max because it was going to limit some of the things that they could do going forward. And James wanted to keep some options open and uh, you know have some versatility uh, and 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 be able to do some things. And it's not that they they liked Da, but they just didn't feel like that position at center, unless you had Embiid or Jokic, was worth the type of money that a max contract was going to garner. Yeah, when we come back, ASU eventually is going to need to decide who their next head coach of the football program is going to be. Who does Dr. Michael Crow have in mind? Because chances are his opinion matters more than anybody else's. That's coming up on the Burns and Gambo Show. Football Friday.
Lawrence and Gambo. Presented by 72 Sold. Get your price. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. John Gambador, Dave Burns, live from the Auction Community Studios here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Happy Friday to you, Football Friday. Cardinals, Panthers coming up on Sunday. And, of course, we'll have all the reaction to that on Monday. ASU football, on the other hand, is in Los Angeles taking on USC, sixth-ranked team in the country, 4-0 to start the season. And the gauntlets of games to begin the Sean Aguano era continues. Next week, it's going to be Washington, who's on tonight, by the way. They take on UCLA this evening. Washington that quarterback does. at Washington is off to a great start. Washington is off to a great that start. That kid is. That kid's good. Yeah. So it gets just tougher and tougher for ASU. And, of course, it gets tougher for Sean Aguano. Now, we had him on the show. We could go, and you root for a guy like him. Won four state championships with Chandler. Really well-connected, passionate, has a lot of you know good, positive vibes about him. But you do wonder whether he truly is the guy moving forward and whether he can be the guy. And we start talking about potential names and who could come in and be the head coach permanently for ASU once they figure out their punishment. Dr. Michael Crow, the president of ASU, was on Mike Broomhead's show today on KTAR News 92.3 FM. And he was asked a specific question about Deion Sanders. Will you bring in Deion Sanders to be the head coach of ASU football? Here's what Dr. Crow said about that this morning. I get a lot of messages about Deion, and, and, and Deion seems to be like uh, just in his early age of, of, of learning how to be a coach. Uh, we're going to find the, the most fantastic football coach that we can. I, I can tell you one thing, that that ASU football is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've tried some experiments. Uh, they've they've uh, worked a little bit. Uh, they haven't worked in other ways. Uh, we're going to now uh, move forward. We're going to expand our investments. We're going to uh, uh, take full advantage of all the opportunities that the, that the state of flux is providing in the way that college football is being run. And we're going to we're going to regroup and move forward to victory. I mean, that's that's the only method that we've got here. Move forward to victory. Yeah, that part was kind of cheesy, but the part in the middle, the stuff in the middle, was really. I'm going to play it again. Everybody listen to this again, because these are just words. Actions speak louder than words, right? Okay. But there was stuff in there. Okay, let's go. Let, let, I want to play it one play, more time, because there's stuff in there I want to. Uh, we need to talk about here. I get a lot of messages about Dion, and, and, and Dion seems to be like uh, just in his early age of, of, of learning how to be a coach. Uh, we're going to find the, the most fantastic football coach that we can. I, I can tell you one thing, that, that ASU football is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've tried some experiments. Uh, they've they've uh, worked a little bit. Uh, they haven't worked in other ways. Uh, we're going to now uh, move forward. We're going to expand our investments. We're going to uh, uh, take full advantage of all the opportunities that the that the state of flux is providing in the way that college football is being run. And we're gonna we're gonna regroup and move forward to victory. I mean that's that's the only method that we've got here. Full advantage of the state of flux? NIL. He's talking about NIL. We're going to take full advantage of the state of flux. ASU is very important to me. We've done some experiments around here. Some have worked, some haven't. I mean, that's Herm. That's the, that's the, you know, that's the, 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 the new leadership model, right? That the, the university got ripped so badly for. Uh, we've, we're going to, we're going to expand the program a little bit. All of that kind of, says to, what I'm hearing in all of that is that ASU 
the idea that they're going to do something kind of wacky for this head coaching position, it sounds like to me they're going to aim for right down the middle of the fairway on this one. Like they're going to get the best, most traditional type coach they can get to run the program and not try to do something funky or different. And that it also sounds like the part that ASU football is very important to me. Let's be honest, that's been questioned. By a lot of people, just how important is ASU football? Yeah, to Doctor Michael Crow, right? I, I, sure. And, and it, it, I don't think it is that important to be it, honest with you. I, I don't think so it is show either. Me, show me show how important me. it is. Words, action. These they'll are have words. the money. They pay paid Herman about four million dollars a year. They'll have a they'll have a, a good amount to offer a new head coach. They'll have a good amount of money to offer. My gut feeling right now is it's going to be Tom Herman, but let's see. I think it'll end up being Tom Herman. But I think they'll do an. I think they'll do a, a thorough investigation and just go into everybody and see what they can get. I don't think they can get Deion Sanders. I would love it if they could get Deion Sanders um, because I think he'd be great, but I think there's more of a chance that he ends up at Auburn or Georgia Tech. You know, I think, you know, I remember he was a legend in Atlanta, right? Sure. I mean, so I think that there's more of a chance that he ends up at, with the Georgia Tech job or the Auburn job than he would coming out here. But um, I, I mean, I'm all for it. I think Deion would be great. I mean, I think that would be fantastic because he can recruit. I mean, Deion can recruit recruit. Um, but I don't know that you're going to be able to get him. So I think you'll but I think they'll, like, I've always said this. They're going to hire a good coach. They're going to be back to what they've always been. And that's, you know, a, a program that wins seven or eight games, goes to a bowl game. But like for, for them to get to where everybody wants them to go, that's a whole nother level of commitment from Michael Crow than what he's talking about right here. Yeah. And, that's and, a whole nother level. And whether he's ready to reach that level, whether he wants to go to that level, I still have my doubts despite what he said today. I, I, I think, listen to that soundbite. Number one, I think you can rule out Deion Sanders. He didn't say as much. He said very complimentary things about him. But I think you're right. Between a demand for Dion. Um, I, I just didn't get the impression that ASU is going to be able to be a player at that table. So you probably move on from him. Number two, he says ASU football is very important to, okay, how important? How important is it? Because that's, you know, you, they fired Herm. You, they fired, but they should have fired Herm last year. They should have fired him a year ago. They should have. It's debatable. I, it's not to me, it's because, not. Because, but who are you going to hire with the investigation? Like in the in Sean Aguano, the guy you hired after you fired. Okay, so you're basically you're just going to go interim coach. I'm, I was cool with that. I get that. Like, but, but you weren't going to go get the coach on a five year deal in the middle because, of the investigation. Using your argument, you should have fired Herm after three games. Because who are you going to hire? I'm there's, a, there's no, but I'm okay with the interim guy. Like Aguano's fine. Like if you would have said, listen, Sean Aguano's the head coach for this year, and we'll evaluate at the end. Like Don Newman was the head coach after Bill Frieder left. What you should have done last time. I'm okay. I was always okay with that, but I never believed that you could go. Go get a, a, a head coach that was going to commit to a five-year deal to come be the head coach at ASU. While you're in the middle of this investigation, you didn't know what the punishment was going to be. And, and what he didn't talk about was Ray Anderson, his role in all of this, how much of a say he's going to have in all of this. But it does sound like the days of experimental hires for ASU is over. And thank goodness for that. Because Herm was an experimental hire. That was an experiment. If Ray's still the AD, he's going to be taken out of this process, most likely. He'll have a say, but he won't have the final say. Because Ray made the decision to bring in his buddy and Herm, and it failed. And Michael, and Michael, try, and Michael Crow in that, in that statement tried to say, well, we experimented and we, some of it worked and it failed. It failed. Like, in the end, it failed. Yeah, your Pop new leadership model failed. Your new leadership model failed. Right. And the guy that made that decision probably shouldn't make the next coaching hire. Yep. And, and I, and I tell you what, it didn't help either 
that they were very, very slow to embrace the NIL model because that's the future. I mean, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's morally right, ethically right. I mean, that's college football. That's college football in 2022. Oh, deal yeah. with it. Deal with it. And they didn't want to deal with it for a while. We all not like it, but that's the, that's exactly. the, no, that's no, no, the no, playing no. field now. We, we don't want to do it that way. We got to figure out a way. We can't go. You better figure out a way to compete in that universe. You better because that's the universe you live in. That's it. Figure it out. Figure it out. And if you don't want to figure it out, you're not committed to it. Yeah. You want to compete with those big 12 teams that you're going to be in the same conference with? <laughs> As it is every week, injuries going to be the center of discussion on a football Friday. There are big names that are questionable for Sunday's game. We'll recap all the ones you need to know next on the Burns and Gambo Show.